What's up, Cornerstone? How y'all doing? I uh, want to take a moment just to greet everybody watching online, anybody watching at many of our locations. We've been in a series called First News and the Gospel of Mark, uh, one of the first uh, writings we get of Jesus. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can open it or you can turn your Bible on on your phone. Uh, Mark 6, verse 1, um, the Bible says this, he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Now, here's the deal. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus had a brother named Joseph. Now, I, I, I marvel at this because it's like he had a brother named Joe, and he was just like, you know, why don't we just add the sus? Just an average Joe named sus. You know, J Joseph, okay? Like, like I just, I love that he had a brother named Joseph. It's like when they're just naming their kids, you know how some families name all their kids starting with a J or with an R. They was kind of doing this, going with the sus. They said, we already got a Jesus. Let's add a Joseph. Um, and then... And Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then the Bible says, and Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Um, there is something happening um, in Jesus' hometown as he's, as he's coming home. And the first thing they say is like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, aren't, aren't you just a carpenter? They bring up Jesus' first job. Like, weren't you just making furniture just a couple years ago, buddy? You used to making some kitchen tables just like a couple weeks ago. Now you're coming here doing miracles, teaching. Who do you, who do you think you are? It, it, it's funny here are people in his hometown that feel like they know a lot about Jesus, but they actually know very little about Jesus, and they've simply grown familiar with Jesus. Familiarity breeds contempt. We've heard this statement before. It's like once you get so familiar with something, you just kind of lose its sacredness. I get the privilege of, of uh, leading a, a group of young professionals in Dallas, Texas, and uh, I love um, helping our young professionals go through the burrows of dating and the single life and the ups and downs and the roller coaster of it. And, and uh, it, it's always interesting to me when, when one of them gets a boyfriend, one of them gets a girlfriend, and I just love how they describe their first date. Um, they, their breath doesn't stink yet. Like, they don't know the flaws of the other person. Um, their car is super clean. Um, and they, they are amazed that they can stay up on the phone until the wee hours of the night, and they just believe that uh, it's going to be an eternal bliss. They talk about the girl's future aspirations and how they could potentially see them as a wife. Like, okay, this is going somewhere. Okay, cool. But then I love when they have their first fight. Now, during their first fight, they're not even willing to admit that they even had a fight. They go, me and Chelsea had a strong conversation last night. I said, so you got in a fight? They're like, no, 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 not a fight. No, we're not fighting. It's just a conversation that was rather contentious. I go, it's called a fight. It's a, it's a regular argument. It's okay. He's like, no, no, no. I, don't, I mean, it was just, a, you know, we, we just had an intense 
conversation. I went, oh, okay. And, and, and how they describe their relationship as they get closer to engagement simply changes. I was talking to the same guy the other day. I said, hey, man, how are you and Chelsea doing? He said, oh, man, we're, we're doing good. You know, uh, we had a good date night the other night. You know, we went to the aquarium. I said, man, how was that? He said, it was $85. I said, I asked you how the date was. He said, I said it was $85. It's amazing how just the same relationship hasn't lost its love, it's just lost its luster. I mean, I wonder how many times that happens with our relationship with the Lord, how often that happens with our faith that what was once a burning passion is just a committed relationship. I mean, I'm committed, but I'm, I'm not really excited about it. I mean, how you used to talk about God when you first gave your life to him versus right now can sometimes just be meh. Now, sometimes uh, when you're even going through scripture, it, you, you kind of go through it like, I already know how this story ends. You find yourself not reading the Bible. You actually find yourself skimming the Bible, because you know how the story ends. Uh, I guarantee you that if I walked up to any of you in the lobby before this service and said, hey, did you know Jesus had a brother named Joseph? I wonder how many of you go, yeah, 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 I know Joseph. You don't know Joseph. It, but it's amazing how what happens when we stop skimming. Like, like you're going to go home today and go, hey, what'd you learn in church? You know Jesus had a brother named Joseph? What does that have to do with anything? We don't know, but what, but like, but isn't it amazing? If we didn't see Joseph, what else haven't we seen? I mean, could you imagine if we really just slowed down and even just for a moment pretended like this was the first time that we were reading it? Ran into a guy the other day. He said, Ryan, just started this whole church thing and, you know, you guys like the Bible and stuff. So I decided I'll start reading it. I'm starting at the beginning. I've made my way to 1 Samuel. Okay, I've gotten that far. And let me tell you something. This David guy is fascinating. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, man, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, we started talking about David for a little bit. And then I said, wait a minute. Uh, so you haven't gotten to like the part about Jesus? He said, who? I said, it's the whole, every, you haven't gotten to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John yet? He said, no. I said, so you don't, Know that Jesus fed 5,000 people with a, with a two-fish dinner? You, you, you don't know that Jesus walked on water? Like, you haven't seen the water turned into water? Like, you haven't? You don't know any of that? He's like, no. I said, oh, my gosh, I wish we could trade places. I wish we could. Man, I wish I could be reading it for the first time. And I said, hey, dude, here's the deal. The next couple months of your life are going to be awesome because you've never heard the greatest story ever told. And you're about to read it for the first time. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but I want it to. I want it to be like, he's alive. <laughs> I can tell him. But it's like, no, 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 don't spoil it for him. Let him find out on his own. Could you imagine if we could go back to that place? Can you imagine if, um, it's not a position of your mind, it's a position of your heart. Where you lean in, you're taking notes, you're going, Lord, I, I think you might have something to say to me. Through Mark 6, maybe I've read it a thousand times. Maybe I've never read it at all. Maybe you might not even be a Christian here today. You might just go, but could the Lord have something to say to me through Mark 6? Ah, I, I, I think he does. Um, I, I learned this art from one of the 
uh, from, from a book I was reading about what some of the top politicians in the world do. They walk around and they take notes on people's lives. That's how they remember their constituents' names and how they have a way with people because they're always taking notes. Where there's this pastor in D.C. who does the same thing. And, I, and now I realize he got it from Capitol Hill. Um, his name's Mark Batterson. Mark Batterson, uh, we were at an event together and... Um, and we're, we're all at this dinner, and Mark Batterson is uh, one of the top Christian authors in the world, okay? And he starts a conversation with me, and he starts taking notes on me. And I'm going, Mark, I think we got this backwards, okay? Because, like, I think I should be taking notes on you, but I thought, no, this is how he keeps his heart pure. That everybody in the room is a somebody. And believe you me, I was the nobody in the room, but he's going, tell me everything. Tell me everything. Could you imagine if we did that with the Bible? Could you imagine if we did that for the first time? I wonder what would happen if we leaned in instead of said, you know what? Entertain me today. Let's see what you got. Impress me. Then maybe I'll think about giving my life to God. Maybe I'll think about paying attention to the, maybe I'll, but could you imagine if we just leaned in? as if we were hearing it for the very first time. Question I want to ask you today is this. Is there any part of your life, of your faith, that you've allowed to become mundane? Like, what, what, what about your faith have you allowed to become mundane? We're just going to go to church. We're just going to kind of do the deal. Because that's what happened with Jesus' family and friends and people in his hometown. They just allowed it to just be... Jesus was just this other, oh, he's just a carpenter. Good guy, but, I mean, not all that everybody's cracking him up to be. And the Bible says that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Jesus only marveled at faith two times. Gentile faith, when it was present in an unexpected place. This happened in Luke 7, when a guy came to Jesus and said, I need you to heal my servant. Jesus says, okay. He says, no, 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 I don't need you to go to my house. If you just say the word, he'll be good. Jesus goes, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. He marveled at a place where it was present, where it was in an unexpected place. And then in this story, he marvels at the Jewish unbelief when it was absent where it should have been present. If God was monitoring your faith today, where would it be? Where would it be? Like, do you find yourself sitting back in comfort and going, you know what? It's just easier not to believe. It is easier for me not to get my hopes up. It's easy for me to just sort of be a casual Christian and just go to church and not really believe that Jesus is all that because sometimes I just, I just, I just don't want to get disappointed. Have you allowed your faith to kind of sink back? And Man, you remember... I don't know about you, but the very first time that I read that Jesus walked on water, I took a bath completely different. I mean, I just took a shower completely different going, this might be interesting. I just believed it. And then something happened. I just got older. I just got older and went, ah, ah. And I hate that. I, I miss the childlike faith of approaching the scripture going, anything could happen today. Anybody could get healed today. Can we get that back today? Mark 6, verse 7 says this. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two 
gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a stab, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Then the Bible says, and he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And uh, here's, here's what Jesus is doing. He's going, hey, guys, we're going on a mission trip. Meet at the church. All right, cool. Everybody, 12 guys show up to the mission trip at the church. And uh, they walk in with a sleeping bag, luggage, book bag, and their wallets. Jesus says, hey, uh, we're going to leave all this here. Whoa, whoa, but Jesus, uh, on this mission trip, you're sending us out to have authority over unclean spirits, to preach the gospel and all that stuff. Um, what if we get hungry? Aren't we supposed to, like, you know, Swipe or debit card for, for, for I mean, we can get reimbursed by you, I'm sure. But on some level, um, like, what are we supposed to do? Like, I, I like my sleeping bag. I like my stuff. What if I need to change clothes? What if, Jesus is going, no, that's okay. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to take care of that. You. You, you, you don't need that where you're going. They're going, but, but when we go to the airport, we, we need to check luggage. But if we don't have any, then, then why do we pay the baggage fees? It's like, no, that's okay. We're good. I got it. And uh, the, the end of this story, or, or the, when Jesus checked in with them about this story, actually happens in Luke chapter 22. And the Bible says this. And he said to them, hey, remember that one time I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals? Did you lack anything? And then it says they said, which means they got in a group and said, hey, did you lack anything when you went? No, okay. Did you lack anything? No, not you. What about you? What about you? All 12 times. Okay. And then all of a sudden they answered as a group and said, Jesus, nothing. We lacked nothing. You sent us out with nothing, yet we lacked nothing. Isn't it amazing? The provision of the Lord. When you have completely given everything to him and some of you have lost everything, Man, I can't think of a better position to be in life. I know that sound. Oh, they lost everything. I'm going, praise God, you have to lean on him now. What do you mean you lost it? Why is this the worst moment of your life? No, this is the best moment because this is a place we all should be giving everything to go. You know, all of this stuff is just stuff. And I, I just completely trust you with my life. You might be listening to this message. You might be sitting here today. You might have lost a job. You may have lost a loved one in your family. You might be going through a, a really dark time. I just want you to know you should trust God with that. Trust God with that. Say, Lord, this, this is yours. And I know I don't understand how all of this works all the time, but I, I would rather be in pain and trusting you than being in pain and walking away from you. Because there's nothing else that I can turn to that is going to save me. At minimum, I, I, want, I want to trust you with this, and it may, some of you are, are thinking about starting a business. Some of you are thinking about going down a path that is in some unknown territory, and it could be a little bit scary. I would just encourage you to do this. Give it to Jesus. Give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I, I, I trust you with this. If you want this business to take off, I, I got to trust you with that. And, and if it does, then, then okay, then maybe that's a sign for me to go in another direction. But no matter what I'm putting my hands to, no matter where I'm going on the journey, I pray that the theme of my life is trust. Mark 6, verse 14 says this. King Herod heard of it. 
For Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. Then the Bible says in the next slide, and others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Here's what's happening in Mark chapter 6. Everybody's trying to figure out who Jesus is. His family can't figure it out. The disciples are trying to figure it out. King Herod is trying to figure it out. They took a poll. They're like, John the Baptist, Elijah, another prophet. We don't know. The question you've got to answer for yourself today is, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Where you're trying to figure out who he is on your journey with the Lord, you have to ask yourself, who is Jesus to me? Is he um, a person that you worship on the weekends? Is he a deity that you simply have looked at to say, okay, um, I believe in a higher power and um, I I know that I, I should be a part of some form of a religion and so you attend church on on, on Sundays. But if you have a part-time relationship with Jesus, you're not really having a relationship with Jesus. It's a full-time thing. It only works if you surrender all. It does not work if you surrender some. I mean, on some level, everybody in Mark 6 is trying to figure it out, and sometimes so are we, but have we truly surrendered our whole life To him, is there some area of your life that you still got your hands on the wheel? Is it your marriage? Is it your money? Is it your career? Is it your future? Is it your kids? At some point in life, we all have an area that we could hand over to the Lord. Have you done it? Have you done it? Mark 6, verse 30 says this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. The disciples and Jesus went on a cruise. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. I don't know where these people got binoculars from. Nevertheless, they figured it out. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Then the Bible says this. It says, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus is on a mini vacation with his disciples trying to give them some rest. But in the process, he still sees what we're about to learn is about five to 20,000 people that are like sheep without a shepherd, and Jesus is moved with compassion to say, you know what, break's over. Break's over. I I realized that I I could use some time off. I realized that they could use some time off. They just got back from the mission trip. They just got back to the church. They're getting their wallets back. They're getting their stuff back, and and, and they realize they just want to go home, and they just want to take some time off and get a little meal, but job's not over. The mission is still at hand. And I got a feeling that the disciples just weren't too happy about it. And you can start to feel the grumbling in the text. The Bible says this. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I mean, at this point, They're going, hey, uh, it's dinner time, Jesus. Time to wrap up. 
I know we didn't help these people. We taught them some things, prayed for them, shook some hands. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to church. Welcome to Cornerstone. Good to see you. All right, now it's time for you to go home and get something to eat. Okay, it's over. So let, let them go get something to eat. It's over. Service is over, okay? Jesus says, uh, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. You do it. Since you have the ability to recognize that they're hungry, why don't you give them something to eat? And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? You know what I, what I find is, is, is very interesting is that oftentimes uh, as I travel to, to different places and, and I always end up in the lobby talking with someone that has an idea of what the church should be doing better. They always, they always got some, some grand, grandiose idea. I mean, and, and it's always like, well, if the church would just, and if, if, if the pastor would just get his act together, and, and, if, and if they would just get us a choir back, that would be great. And, and they, they, they get all this stuff. And, and here's, 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 what I, here's what I've concluded, is that people in church often have an opinion or idea of what they think the church should or should not be doing while simultaneously forgetting that they are the church. I had somebody come to me the other day, they go, man, you really need to start helping single moms more, okay? This church really needs to start helping these single moms start getting them some groceries. I said, you don't know where Albertsons is? You don't know where Target is? You, 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 there ain't a Walmart by your house? What, we, as in, as in like, uh, y'all? You, you got a debit card. I saw you eating lunch the other day. You go. There's this thing of, well, y'all should, because y'all are the super Christians, so this is the church should, should rise up and they should, no, you should. I was at the post office about a year ago and there was a family outside that said, um, hey, need money, we just moved here and it kind of had their story. I don't remember all what, what, what it said on, on the poster, but, but um, they were homeless and they, they, needed, they needed some food. And, and uh, this lady walked past them and they shook a cup of change at them. Said, hey, you know, could you help us out? And, and the lady says, um, I'm sorry, um, but I give charitable giving to my church. So go ask them. Go, you can go down to the church and ask, ask them. Little First Baptist around the corner can help you. And I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you are not off the hook because you gave in an offering. Like, if you have the means to help somebody, be a Christian. You give them something to eat. How are they going to get to the church? They don't have a car or a house. Like, what are you, what, like, let them walk five miles to your church? Like, it'd be different if she said, let me give you a ride to my church. They got my money, so. <laughs> uh, even that, I would have been like, okay, I, I, I can follow the logic. But the dismissal altogether of going, that's my church's problem. And I'm not a part of the solution. No, we are the solution. Here's what I truly believe with all of my heart. If there is a need that you are aware of, God put it in your circumference for a reason. If there is a problem in your path, it's in your path for a reason. It's a giant sign that says, maybe this is what you are supposed to help with right now. So many people are going, 
I'm trying to discover my purpose. I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what my purpose is. I'm trying to figure it out. And they're constantly ignoring problems right in front of them. Ignoring needs right in front of them. I think your purpose is connected to the problems that you see that other people can. Just be the church. And it's not a, oh, well, let's make sure Cornerstone is helping the homeless. No, just be the church. You help the homeless. And then the Bible says this. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Hey, maybe you never knew Jesus was extremely organized. I'm not sure of the personality type of Jesus, but clearly this man was anal on the numbers, okay? I need 50 of you right there. I see 51. I'm going to need you to slide over to the hundreds, okay? Thank you. All right. Fifties, hundreds, fifties, hundreds. Listen, if I'm going to feed everybody, listen, I got, it's got to be organized. This ain't a buffet line, okay? It's not a free-for-all, okay? We're going to have some, some order here. And, he, and, and then uh, the Bible says this. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Scholars believe that this is 5,000 men and their families. They estimate that this was about 15 to 20,000. Now, remember, they're divided in hundreds and fifties, okay? Just, just, just get that. Don't think of this mass crazy crowd. This, this is very organized in groups on grass. And I'm astounded that Jesus um, consistently throughout Mark 6 is illustrating his ability to do a lot with a little. Jesus illustrates his ability to do a lot with a little. And here is the message that Jesus is trying to get to the disciples here is the message that Jesus is trying to send back to Herod. Here is the message Jesus is trying to send back to his family. Here is the message that Jesus is trying to give to humanity. I have the ability to do a whole lot with your little. You don't got to have a lot. You might look at your life and go, man, it's in broken pieces. Jesus can do a lot with your life. And I would even venture to say he can do more with your life than you can. You know, God's math is very interesting. It's not like our math whatsoever. And he created math. But his math, it just, it's just how, how he does math is astounding to me. Because 5 plus 2 to you and me is 7. 5 plus 2 to Jesus, 20,000 people get fed. How does that happen? I don't know. He just illustrates his ability to do a lot with the little, he can send his disciples out with nothing and all of a sudden they lack nothing. How did you turn nothing into something? That's what Jesus does. He turns nobodies into somebodies. He just, that's who Jesus is. That's what he does. And sometimes we don't want to give God even the little that we do have. And he's going, if you would just give me just that. Man, a whole lot could happen. Imagine if you surrendered even just those little things that sometimes we're holding on to. It's like, oh Lord, you could have this. Mark 6 Verse 45 says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethesda, 
while he dismissed the crowd. He, Jesus is going, all right, disciples, I see y'all got a little attitude today. Let me handle my groups of 50s and 100s. Y'all go ahead and get in, back on the cruise. Head back over there. I'll meet you over there. I'm going to dismiss the crowd and be with the people. I know y'all had a long little trip. Why don't you go ahead and go to the other side? And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, this is about three or four in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Let's just pause it right there, okay? Your friend and leader is the savior of the world. You are about to die on the sea in the midst of a storm because he told you to go home. And by, do, by doing that, you found yourself in a storm. And in the midst of your storm, here comes Jesus walking on water. He just walked right past you. Y'all good? Nah? Okay. <laughs> I'm like, what? Why would you do that, Jesus? Like, you, you meant to pass. Like, first off, it's like, how fast were you walking? My goodness, Jesus. You got to be walking pretty fast to pass a boat walking on water. It's like, what, does, does he have skis on? It's like a jet ski carrying him across. It's amazing. He meant to pass by them, but, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. Of course they did, wouldn't you? And, and, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately, he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with him, and the wind ceased. And then the Bible says, and they were utterly astounded. And wait a minute, Mark tells us, He's taking us back to Jesus feeding 5,000 people. And he notes, for they did not understand about the loaves. Wait a minute. You're, you're connecting water to bread? You're, I thought these stories were separate. No, they're all, they're all pointing to one major thing. Understand the loaves, church. You have to understand that Jesus' ability to do a lot with a little is so important. And if you understand the loaves, you won't be so shaken by the storms of your life. And here's the interesting thing. The disciples found themselves in a storm by being obedient to God. And there are some people that have subscribed to the theology that if following Jesus and I just do what he tells me to do, then I will have a storm-free life. That my life is supposed to be so amazing and have no problem. That if, if, if I am a follower of Jesus, I shouldn't have any storms in my marriage. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I shouldn't have any storms in my finances. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I shouldn't have any storms with my family and I should have career bliss, relational bliss, spiritual bliss, financial bliss, and marriage. But like, like I, I shouldn't have any storms. Following Jesus does not mean you will have a storm-free life. Following Jesus means you will have an anchor in every storm you go through. The important thing isn't if you're in a storm or not in a storm. You cannot spend your life trying to avoid storms. 
The only thing you can do is continue to invite Jesus into your boat. That's all you got. That's all you got. And it's amazing. When Jesus got in the boat, the storm stopped. And even when the storm stopped, they still didn't understand the loaves. Because if they would have understood the loaves, they would know there is no way that the savior of the world would come to the planet, recruit 12 men to save the world and let them die in the middle of the sea. Great plan. It's never going to happen. Guys, if you understood the loaves, you would know I'm not going to let you drown. If you understood the loaves, you would know I'm not. It's just, it's just a storm. It's, it's, it's not. I am the anchor. I am the provider. I am the one that controls the weather. Trust me with everything that you have. And then Mark concludes, Mark 6, with this thought. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Mark is now showing us and referencing what we actually talked about last week. And this was a woman with an issue of blood that dove through a crowd of people and touched the edge of Jesus' garment and gets healed instantly. Well, apparently her faith started trending on Twitter, hashtag touch the road. <laughs> and everybody like, wait, 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 whoa, 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 wait a minute. You mean to tell me all I got to do is touch his robe? He ain't got to anoint me with oil. He doesn't even have to touch me. All I have to do is touch his robe. And then the Bible tells us an underestimated part about Jesus' life, that every place he went, they would simply sit him down and, and hear what the instructions they gave Jesus. Jesus, we'll need you to preach. We'll need you to teach. We'll need you to pray for nobody. We'll need you to do anything. We just need you to wear a long shirt. <laughs> Make sure your robe is real long. Like, the, like we can get you an XL T, long T. We're going to get that for you to make sure that your robe is long because as long as people touch it, Jesus is going, well, I have something I would like to say. No, 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 Jesus, we good. We just need the robe. And notice where. Not the synagogue. They didn't say, Jesus, make sure you show up on time for the synagogue service. And as long as lost people come to you somehow, then they have a moment to be made well. No, no, no. They put him in the marketplace. 99% of you are never going to work at a church. You're going to work in the marketplace. And that is the best news you've heard all day long. Because it shows us the overarching plan for humanity is you, not anybody on a stage. It's you. God wants to use you right where you're at. Starting tomorrow when you go to work, you're like, no, I got my church in for the weekend. I'm good. Church starts tomorrow. In the marketplace, and you get to be an extension of Jesus everywhere you go, and you give somebody a chance to get whole. Mark 6 is a beautiful story, a tapestry that Jesus, uh, of, of Jesus being a man that defies natural laws. Because normally, 
Men don't walk on water. Normally, 20,000 people don't get fed from a fish filet meal from McDonald's. It just doesn't happen very often. Normally, people don't touch clothes and get healed, but all of the above is possible because of a name, and his name is Jesus. And if you've not put your faith in that name, if, you, if you've not put your hope in that name, you're missing out. Uh, my wife, sister, uh, was dying of cancer a, a few years ago before my dad passed away. And I, I remember my wife was really shaken up by it, and she was in the process of losing her sister. And uh, I called my dad. I said, Dad, you know, Amanda's sister is, is struggling right now. My dad said, put her on the phone. I said, okay, I'll put her on the phone. Here, here's, here's a line that my, my late father said, and I love it. He said, there's more healing dripping off the hem of Jesus' robe than in all the medicine in the world. And, and, and here's what this statement is about. Where's your hope? Where's your trust? What, 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 what is the... Hey, I, I, hey, Amanda, I know you and your family. You've been hearing from doctors. The doctors are great people. They're smart. They help us. They help us get well. But let, let's, just, let's just remind ourselves, before our time on earth is up, where we put our hope, where, where we put our trust, and that our life, good or bad, is placed in the hands of the person who made it. Today, I, I want you to know if you've got a person in your family that is sick or you yourself have come across some, some sort of illness, I want you to know that there is healing and power in the name of Jesus. There is healing and power in the name of Jesus. And in just a few moments, uh, we're going to have our prayer team up here. And if you need prayer for something or you want to represent a family member, say, hey, would you pray? Absolutely. And I want you to be able to come forward. I want you to be able to open up. I want you to be able to say a prayer today with that first news type faith. Not, not the type of faith that we're going, well, all right, we've already prayed. We've kind of done the deal. We've, we've been here before. No, I, I'm talking about you approaching Jesus going, you know what? I, I just, the Jesus I read about in the Bible is the Jesus I believe can show up in my life today and show up in my situation today. I just believe that's what happens when we approach the scripture and, and approach this amazing message to humanity with an incredible amount of faith. That's what I believe happens when we hear it for the very first time. And I think that's a position of our heart, not our mind. Father, I thank you so much for each and every person here um, at Cornerstone Fellowship. Um, Lord, I pray for each and every person under the sound of my voice that is in desperate need of a healing from you that may be healing emotionally or physically. And Lord, I just pray that you would meet needs in this place today. I pray, God, that we would, uh, our, our faith wouldn't be in outcomes, but that our faith would be in the, the outcome giver, that our faith would be in you and that we would trust you with our lives, with our circumstances, with our careers, with our marriages, and that there wouldn't be anything that we hold on to too tightly for ourselves. I pray, God, as people begin to step out in faith and ask you for miracles, 
I pray, God, that you would reward people's faith. There are countless people under the sound of my voice that are counting on you. And I pray, God, that they would encounter the Jesus of the Bible. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said, amen.